And we're back for part two of this episode of the Spanish shit show of politics, commenting the coming soon uh, election, um, national election? Yes, parliamentary elections and presidential. All right, so today we're going to be doing a reading of the leftist coalition program, but first uh, let's remind us a bit of, uh, of the actors we're talking about. So when you talk leftist coalitions, who are we talking about? So the leftist coalition, it's a plurality of, uh, of parties, the, many of them local, many of them national. We're talking about Unidas Podemos. That's, uh, that's probably the one that you, that you remember the most. So Unidas Podemos was a, was a merge between Izquierda Unida, which was the left, the united left, that was uh, the far left history or the, the, the left-tier <laughs> left uh, party historically in Spain. Then uh, we have uh, uh, Podemos, which was the child of the uh, Spanish uprisings in the, in the early 2010s, uh, with uh, the Occupy movements, no, in the global Occupy Occupy movements, the Arab Spring, and so on, with this renaissance of uh, assembly politics or assembly left-leaning progressive politics, and then there's a lot of local manifestations or, or translations. It doesn't have it doesn't have to be the children of Podemos, but the but in parallel to the to the birth of Podemos, there were many local branches, and that was one of the big um, one of the big uh, um, critiques that uh, that they that they suffer is that it was a myriad that no one could understand if it was uh, the big wave or if it was Podemos or if it was the uh, Granada local left or whatnot. This is a left. If we don't have a myriad of subcurrents and subdivision to try to represent every, everyone, then that is not really the left. <laughs> <laughs> but in this occasion, it seems, uh, well, it doesn't seem, it is uh, formally that there is a, coal a formal coalition that is going to, to present uh, their program, that, that is going to present themselves for the parliament and the presidency with Yolanda Diaz the former minister, or what well, current uh, uh, minister of uh, of labor, uh, that I was pricing before through through her law, and has uh, has had a big name recognition and a big uh, um, big approval ratings in 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 Spain uh, over the past the of the over the past uh, legislature. All right. Okay. Are the socialists that the PSOE? PSOE, yes, that's uh, in Spanish. No? PSOE, oh, yes, yeah. you say. Yeah. Uh, are they part of the coalition? No, no, no. They are. They are the socialists. They are the 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 centrist and uh, the centrist government. Mm. Uh, yeah. They are the traditional socialist with brackets. With <laughs> a lot of brackets, in the sense that uh, they've governed. It's true that the two last uh, the leftist governments, the one of Zapatero and the one of uh, of uh, uh, led by by Pedro Sanchez, have been ha have been more progressive than uh, 
the unexpected and and, and and yeah, we'll, we'll, we could dedicate a full, a full thing to, to recover the, <laughs> the, 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 the heart uh, beaten uh, image of uh, Zapatero, but, uh, but okay. this is not the point. All right. And, uh, and facing it on the right, we have the conservative of the Partido Popular, the which box. is Christian conservative uh, tra traditionalist with also it's a big coalition they they income they they encompass from a the economically liberal but pro but socially progressive to a more religious um, religious uh, fundamentalist Christian Christian fundamentalist uh, uh, and, and less flexible in the social arena uh, part of the electorate. Okay, and and then we have the far right of Vox, which is also a bit of a Spanish singularity in that uh, in that in a lot of Europe there have been a resurgence of the far right, but it came rather late in Spain. Yeah, actually, uh, the the progressives uh, or those of us that identify as progressives for. Uh, larger than than we, we held to the hope that uh, the having the dictatorship the Franco dictatorship so close in memory and just one generation removed from the youngest uh, the youngest of us uh, we felt that we were a singularity and that we were not going to fall uh, down the, the the traps and the uh, and the tricks of um, of uh, more fascist rhetoric, populist uh, populist manip manipulation, and and yeah, it has come up, and it has come up with uh, with uh, strength. It's not the anecdote that um, that we wished um, that it wished it was in its first uh, elector elections uh, uh, appearance. All right. So let's get to more pleasant thoughts uh, and leanings as far as we're concerned with this program. Thank you very much. So I'm going to be reading a, a summary of the, of the program because the program is, as far as I've gathered, 182 pages. So there is some thought put into it. Uh, and it has uh, a myriad of uh, of policies that um, that they are trying to articulate rather concretely. No, but uh, I'm going to go to El Mundo, which is a traditionally a, cons a center conservative uh, mainstream uh, newspaper uh, to see what they have captured of the of the uh, program. All right. So. The first uh, area is economy and employment. The first point that it's uh, that it's uh, brought by, by Sumar is that they aim to lower unemployment to a seven a seven percent at the end of the legislature. I don't know exactly the numbers. I imagine it's still above the above the double digits, above the ten percent bracket. Uh, I will be very surprised if it's not. Uh, it's been as bad as close to the 20%, uh, mm. uh, but, um, but it has gone down and uh, employment levels are at an all-time low in Spanish history. 
So we might, we definitely should aim to something ambitious if we want to 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 keep on attacking uh, attacking inequality and attacking uh, uh, people that is under under risk of marginalization or even in economic margin marginality. No? The second one, it's a darling of mine, and it's uh, probably seen with very with very incredulous eyes by the Spanish electorate, that is to reduce the uh, work week to 32 hours per week. That's that, and, and in this newspaper, it's blended with, uh, they put in the same point, the universal inheritance of 20,000 euros. But let's take it one point at a time, because I think this is muddled to, this is blend together to rise brows and to rise the incredulity of, uh, of the electorate. All right, which is something that I, can that I can absolutely understand, but at the same time, there is a lot of discussion amongst progressive about the, about the, I wouldn't say the necessity, but the potential of reducing the work week, which is, let's say, in most of Europe between around 35, 39, it's, it's 35 in, in France, but usually it's, uh, it's expanded a bit to, to feel those 37. It's, it's 37.37 in, 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 uh, in Denmark. Yeah. Uh, but the, the thing is, is that uh, in a context of mass unemployment, one of the most efficient ways to reduce unemployment is reduce the the work the work time so that uh, so that work is is divided up more and and in France when the socialist government then moved the work week by 37 to 35 hours, it had a very concrete in effect in lowering an, an employment and and further, furthermore something that we don't really take into consideration uh, because because of course when you when you discuss about lowering the working time, then you have conservatives saying that, oh, but uh, people used to work 64 hours a week, and then some people who really want to work. Many so are still. Many are still, yeah, I was, I was getting there. But the thing is, we have, uh, as, uh, as modern technological society, we have earned extraordinary gains in productivity. So to do the same amount of work you need less hours because now you have machinery and of course you have computer and you have all those tools that make any kind of work quicker and more efficient to do. And a couple of generations ago in progressive circle, there was this notion that technology and mechanization is going to allow us to really, really lower the work time. And, and at the time, the, the, the speculative discussion was that it would go down to 15, uh, 15 hours a week or even 12 hours a week. And what happened, it, what happened is that it did not happen. And why? Because if you keep the same hour with the benefit of the gain of productivity, then the increased value that you're going to, that you're going to produce, you can just put it, uh, put it straight in benefits. And so instead of lowering working time, the gains of productivity were just used to to maximize profit, benefiting uh, shareholders and, and owners of, of private capital. But in a context of mass unemployment, 
recession and also in a context of global climate warming where where uh, continued growth and growth as a goal in and of itself might not be might not be sustainable discussing reducing again the the work labor duration uh, makes sense as as impossible as it would be but since we're going to be discussing discussing economics i'll just finish on this i usually always get back to this quote from uh from Ursula again which says that uh, these days capitalism seems inescapable but once upon a time so did the divine right of kings and um, and so this kind of structural change, uh, changes that we're talking about that, yeah, right now they seem impossible because that's just the way it is, that's just the way things are. But, uh, but yeah, there were all the time and other periods when it felt like that's how society is ordained and it's always going to, going to be this way. And, and there were actual, actual structural change. So I don't know if we'll see them in our lifetime, but but it may yet, it may yet come uh, in this in this point of the of the work week i i actually understand the, the the incredulity i mean if you if you're working 60 hours a week uh, as um, as many people do in in spain uh, no matter how productive they are because once you are exhausted uh, unless you have a work in which you are forced to be performing all the time, like a service job in a restaurant uh, a, or or different different in different contexts, no? in different industries in which you are forced to 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 actually do manual labor all the uh, during those uh, those sixty hours uh, per week, uh, uh, in an office work or in a, in a, in a work that requires your your uh, cognitive uh, labor more than 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 your physical labor and that has some flexibility in bed my personal experience has been of very 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 low uh, productivity and very low uh, cap capability to to create things that made sense during those 60 hours actually of productive time I will go to much much lower, and maybe it's uh, maybe I'm in the minority, and it's just a, a, a few of us in the in the population that that that, uh, that has not enough discipline to to squeeze your brain through the 60-hour week. But uh, but my experience working in a much more lenient context uh, uh, over the past uh, seven years, and uh, in which having a work-life balance was prioritized and and, uh, and was uh, encouraged by my leaders has turned into much more joy in my work much more uh, creativity in the things i do and 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 much more appraisal by my colleagues and the, the people i work with yeah i think not of not a lot of people just like to to be warming the seeds but that that's also an issue of uh, of values uh, because at least this course I grew I grew up with what that uh, spending long hours at work um, is something uh, is something to to go for and it's uh, and it's a great value and it shows that you're that you're a good employee and and there's this whole culture of 
putting work before your work life balance or before your of before your family life that has been built in into the culture because obviously it benefits uh, it benefits the 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 order uh, the order givers and i i remember how um, how alien it felt for me to suddenly live in a country in which uh, um, in which uh, we couldn't go to the hairdresser uh, after working hours or uh, the the hairdressers for example to put an example of a service uh, of a service uh, that in spain tends to work rather late because uh, people go after their 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 work um, the the work day uh, i remember that, that that they they will close at uh, four five and they will also have the right to have a to have a family and you will find a way to to be flexible to go during the the working time of uh, of, of the hairdressers for to make an example not that i need many hairdressing these days but uh, <laughs> All right, and then the second point in economics you mentioned. The second point was the universal inheritance of 20,000 euros uh, for all the, the young uh, citizens uh, once they turn 23 years old. Okay, so th this is also a very long conversation, so I'm not sure we'll have, uh, we'll have time to, to dig into it as well, but, uh, but I think it's interesting that they are bringing it up because redistribution of inheritance and especially of uh, trying to curtail the accumulation of generational, of generational wealth, which has been studied and go exponentially because obviously the more money you have at some point, uh, it's just money uh, re replicating itself. Um, it is a huge problem and it's playing a bigger and bigger role in inequalities because, uh, because especially with the housing, uh, housing market crisis, um, it's uh, it, the the share of uh, generational and in inherited wealth in uh, in people's uh, patrimony has become bigger, bigger and bigger in a phenomenon that has been studied and documented, especially in uh, for the most striking example in pre World War One uh, context where generational wealth was really very, very strongly accumulated. Uh, I will I just I will just finish with it. But it's something that's extremely difficult to tackle because first, the extremely wealthy have a lot of financial advisor and tax loopholes and, and fiscal paradise where they can just uh, evade a lot of money. And then every time you talk about, uh, about uh, legislation and stricter legislation about curtailing inherited wealth, it becomes very emotional, even for people who don't have a lot of patrimony or who don't have patrimony at all, because there is still this notion that for a lot of people, the the legacy from their parents will be their only safety net or their only uh, their only chance at uh, at building some patrimony for themselves. And there is this also fantasy of of just being um, being a capital owner and and living from uh, from uh, capital uh, from capital generated uh, income and also then and usually oppositions to, to taxation play on this a lot there is the emotional aspect of oh you're not going to be able to inherit it, to inherit your family home that has been passed for generation and usually when we talk about curtailing generational wealth we're not talking about yeah you have this 
one family property that is passed down. It's it's about huge capital accumulation. So you're not going to you're going to be able to pass your house to your children, or you will be able to to maintain like uh, used private property, but um, but private property for exploitation or financial gain. This is the one that should be targeted because there there's no way there's no way out of it right now. Even if you increase salaries, uh, you're not going to curtail inequalities because the, the weight of generational weight has become so pervasive uh, right now. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, the hole that has been poked in this one is that, uh, so you're going to give those 20,000 also to the rich and they are arguing for a universal. So the answer yes. is yes. Yeah. You're going to give it to everyone. Like yeah. when we talk about universal basic income, it's a, this is a human, this is acknowledged as a citizen's right. Yeah. And no matter what your family is, because once you start fiscalizing, once you start prosecuting and, and auditing each one of the conditions, then it becomes charity. It becomes a, a charity measure in which you have to justify a number of conditions yeah. before you are entitled to that to this charity. Yeah, absolutely, and mm -hmm. uh, and and yeah, and it's actually not a problem because, like you say, if you start putting a level and it's like, what should it be uh, this level and not this one, and then you will have front suspicion and the notion that what should be a right becomes becomes charity, and then uh, what poor people do with. Uh, with uh, with state uh, state welfare state becomes becomes scrutinized and judged. So now in in any social politic making it universal, again research and documented, it is really the way to go. And, and 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 it concerns the richer too. Yeah, okay. If they are being taxed proportionally properly in another yeah, in not, another part of the. On a, on a much, much, much lower level, for example, us in Denmark, we're getting some child support money, which we would not actually need given our level, but it's a universal system. And at the same time, with the, with the taxes we paid, it's more than it's, and we are very, hap we're very happy taxpayers, yes. <laughs> just so we're clear, but it's more than, in a, but it's more than enough uh, com compensated. And, but with that, this child support money is universal so so for some people it will be a lifesaver and for us it's just a it's just a small benefit on tax return and on, on stuff we subsidize where taxes and that we're again very happy yes <laughs> yes actually i was going to 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 bring an anecdote uh, the sad anecdote of a friend of us that has the the that requested the the uh, minimum uh, living salary that's a measure that also this this uh, government put in place uh, that is very a very minim a very meager very very little money that the the that it's uh, that that has been put in place for a monthly stipendium if you ha don't have an income or or the money and it's been a torture in in this case because this person was living with their partner uh, then they were uh, audited or they were scrutinized at the level of yes yes but you need to bring me all this justification of your misery you need to document 
and uh, and create a strong case for your misery con miserable conditions being um, being worth of this charity and during the period that this friend was was requesting the 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 the, the this this uh, support of course their, their their emotional and mental health was at the minimum or was very very harmful so, so you're asking and that will be the condition of many people that is living under or or around the threshold of poverty that they really have very little emotional psychological stamina to be able to face the impossible behemoth that and cryptic <laughs> a behemoth that is the, administ the administrative process of earning the right for yeah, and these the, rights. The objective is to turn off people just to just to make some some cheap savings uh, off of misery. We have the we have the same issue in France where the very minimal support is there's there's a significant proportion of people uh, who would be eligible for state help but do not uh, but do not apply for it. Uh, don't have the exact number, but I've seen it could be as much as 20 to 25 percent. So that is huge. Um, but but yeah, with the administrative complexity and also the, the the judgment and the harshness when you have to prove your own misery and uh, and yeah and find the mental energy to to do it when you're when you're also barely getting barely getting by. It's uh, I mean yeah, it, it is something that's. Um, hard to imagine when you're not uh, when you're not actually going through it. So we've covered two policy, two micro points in the economic uh, policy. <laughs> well, good luck, people. We're here for the long haul. <laughs>